In just a few minutes, we're going to read uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. But let me tell you what I want to talk about today. I, I want to talk about your health. I, I want to talk about your familial, your relational, your emotional, your spiritual, and your financial health. Yes, uh, your financial health. The Bible actually talks a great deal about money. And here's a newsflash. It's not always about giving to the church when it talks about money. On a number of occasions, the Bible simply speaks rather generally about giving to the poor. Verses like Hebrews 13, 16 say, there the Bible reads, do not neglect uh, doing good and sharing what you have. The Bible speaks a great deal about money, but it's not always about giving to the church. The Bible, the recurring theme in the Bible when it comes to money is, is the theme of generosity. In fact, I believe that if, if we will develop the life-giving spiritual discipline of generosity, then we can give prayerfully wherever we want to give, and our church will be okay. Let me say that again. I believe if we will develop the, spirit, the life-giving spiritual discipline of generosity, then we can prayerfully give wherever we want to give, and the church will be okay. I want us to walk through uh, four of the common uh, or the Four of the, the images, the symbols, the pictures that the Bible gives us related to, to money. Four of the, of the metaphors, if you will. One is, um, is, um, is um, what's the first one? Is uh, being a slave to debt. That was the first one. That's right. i about to forget that one. And being slave to debt is the first one. The second is cheating on God. That's a little easier to remember. And then little is big. And finally, real life. So let me say all those again. Slave to debt, cheating on God, little is big, and real life. Let's start with slave to debt. Proverbs 22, 7 reads, the borrower is slave to the lender. Now that's not an indictment against financial institutions that lend money. It's not not an indictment against banks. And it doesn't mean that we can't Take out loans, either as individual Christians or as a church. It doesn't mean we can't take out loans. It is a strong warning against becoming slaves to debt. Now, what would that mean? To be a slave to debt means that we, we're, we're so indebted, we're in debt up to our eyeballs, and so we're, we're having to work more than we want to work. We can't rest as much as we want to rest. Our family is strained. Our health is in trouble. Our familial, relational, emotional, spiritual, and financial health is suffering because we're, we're so shackled by our debt. Imagine with me a couple. They put the kids to bed, and they have a late-night conversation. Sue Bob says to Joe Bob, Joe Bob, you know, you have missed every one of Billy Bob's baseball games, every one of them. Why? Because you're working overtime. 
And then last night, Cindy Bob had her flute recital. And you, you missed Cindy Bob's flute recital because you were working overtime. And now you tell me we can't go on vacation. You know how much I was looking forward to going to Dollywood. And you're telling me that we can't, uh, we can't have a vacation because, you're, because you've got to work well, Joe Bob, I'm, I'm kind of tired of it, and I think, uh, I think you need to quit working so much overtime. In fact, I think you ought to take a job down at the new plant. They don't pay as much, but they don't work as long hours, and I think you need to change jobs. And Joe Bob says, well, Sue Bob, you know I, I, can't, uh, I can't change jobs. I've got to work overtime. We both wanted this big house, and we each wanted a new car. And you just had to have those jet skis, didn't you? And so we got to pay for them. We're all, we're just in debt so much that I have to work overtime. And I can't take that new job. In fact, he says, Sue Bob, I think you need a, you need a new job. I, you work late and the kids and I are getting tired of having Kentucky Fried Chicken every night for supper. We think you need to be here earlier. And, and frankly, I think, I think you need to either quit or get a, or get a new job. And by the way, haven't you been thinking about going back to school? And Sue Bob said, Joe Bob, I, I, can't, uh, I can't go back to school. And I can't quit my job down at the bait shop. I make good, good money at the bait shop. And I, you know, like you said, we got this big house and these new cars. And I'm not going to get rid of my jet skis. And by the way, don't forget, she said, we've got that living room suit on layaway down at, at, at Fanny's Fancy Furniture. You know, it's real nice. You know that the coffee table shaped like a wagon wheel with the glass on top and, and the, the couch is made out of authentic uh, fake leather and so it's, it's real nice and we got to pay for that. So I got to keep, I, I, can't, I can't stop working. You see, Joe Bob and Sue Bob are slaves to their debt. They've overextended themselves, they haven't planned well and now... Joe Bob's having to work all that overtime and Sue Bob can't leave the bait shop because they got so much, to, so much to pay for. Americans have over, many of us have overextended ourselves and it is so easy to do in that, that endless pursuit of the elusive enough. We have overextended ourselves. And some of us probably need to reorder our lives. Now, what would it take for Sue Bob and Joe Bob to get out of debt? Well, they'd have to make some hard decisions, wouldn't they? I, I, I'm not a financial advisor. I would suggest, though, they, they sell their jet skis. And I think uh, they need to tell the fine folks at Fanny's Fancy Furniture that they're not, they don't need that, that living room suit as nice as it is with the wagon wheel table and everything. And then they need to sit down with somebody who who can give them good advice, a good financial advisor who can help them figure out how to get out of debt and how to, how to reorder their priorities. The Bible says don't be a slave to debt. I think that's a message America could use. Our credit cards and some, so many of our, our debts have just become unmanageable. Sue Bob and Joe Bob go to church and they, they hear the preacher talk about being generous and they read it right there in the Bible. It's right there. And they know it. They, they ought to be, but they, they think, you know, we're, we're so, 
stressed and, and we're so stretched financially that we just can't right now. Joe Bob and Sue Bob and maybe some of us need to rethink our financial uh, priorities. So one, uh, don't be a slave to debt. Uh, two, don't, don't cheat on, don't, don't two-time God. Jesus, um, Jesus did an interesting thing with a common Greek word, the word mammon. It means property or money. But Jesus capitalized it. He, he personalized it. He personified it. He said, you remember Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. He, he, he put mammon over here as if it were a, a person. It's almost as if mammon is this person with whom we could cheat on, on God. You can't be loyal to both. It's almost as if mammon could become a mistress. It's been a few years now, but uh, one of John Grisham's most popular novels, uh, out of which, uh, or from which a movie was made, is titled The Firm. And there's this young, hotshot Harvard lawyer graduates and gets a job at this prestigious firm, law firm, in Memphis. And he's thrilled he has arrived already. But he finds out that the firm is actually part of an organized crime syndicate. And so the FBI comes to him privately and they say, we need your help. We know what's going on there, but we can't prove it, and we need somebody on the inside. And he is really torn because he, his moral compass says, I should help the FBI, but he knows that he could get in real trouble. Of course, he'd lose his job, and who knows what these, these criminals would do to him if he were to squeal on them, so he is really torn. And they send him on a business trip to the Cayman Islands, and he walks the beach one night. He's so confused. He's frightened. He's, he doesn't know what to do. Should he, should he, should he work you know, on the inside for the FBI? Should he tell them to get lost? He's so confused. And he meets a woman who just happened to be on the beach. She's a young, attractive woman with a listening ear. She's so sympathetic. She listens well. She empathizes. She feels his pain. And one thing leads to another, and, and he cheats on his wife on a Caribbean beach. And as it turns out, she was not there by accident. It was a setup. The firm had sent him down there and, and planted her to meet him. They knew he'd be vulnerable, and she, again, she's, she's attractive and empathetic and and there's a guy he can't see in the distance with a long-distance lens taking pictures of it all. It's a setup. Now, they, they knew that he might squeal on them, so they wanted to blackmail him, right? It was all a, they, they provided this attractive lady as a setup. My point is that Mammon, with a capital M, is like a, is like a potential mistress. There is a firm, uh, the, the, the powers of hell itself, the evil one, the enemy, Satan, the devil, who would love to take us down, and he sets us up to take us down. He, 
he tempts us with this mammon. And we get, we get so enamored of the money. And remember, the, the Bible says in, in, in 1 Timothy 16 that the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil. When money becomes our mistress and not just a tool, then we're in trouble. So, the first uh, metaphor of course is don't be a slave to debt and then don't, don't two-time and don't cheat God. The third one is little is big. Little is big. Jesus sat with his friends at the temple and they sat around where the trumpets were. Not this kind of trumpets, but these big funnel-like receptacles where people would come and bring their, their offerings. And so Jesus sat there with his friends and he watched the the folks parade by, many of them pulling handfuls of shekels and dropping them into the offering, uh, to, the, to the offering receptacle, the trumpets. And then a, a, a poverty-stricken widow came by and she put in two little copper coins which together added up to a mite which was less than a penny. And she threw those in. And, and Jesus turned to his friends and he said, you know that lady gave more than all those all those wealthy guys did. And they scratched their heads. Now, Jesus, exactly how does that work? He said, well, you know, those guys aren't even going to miss what they gave. They have so much money, they'll, they won't miss a shekel that they gave. But now this woman gave all that she had. And so she really, in my eyes, Jesus said, gave more than the rich guys did. You see, generosity in, in the eyes of Jesus is not measured by the amount we give but rather by the, by the percentage of our income that we give and by the spirit with which we give. In Jesus' eyes, generosity is not measured by the amount we give, but rather by the percentage of our income that we give and by the spirit with which we give it. Let's be honest. There, there are people in our congregation who have the capacity to make Big gifts. And I, I hope you know that by rule in the church, I don't know what anybody gives. Not, I don't know what anybody gives. But I know Huntsville, and I know there's a lot of money in Huntsville. And if we are a, a typical cross-section of, of the professional world in Huntsville, then there are people within our congregation who can hit some big licks. And with that Capacity comes great responsibility. Those who've been given much, remember, from them much is required. But it's also true that there's some of us who don't have that capacity. And if you don't have that capacity, you might be thinking, you know, one day, when I have more money, I'm going to be really generous. One day, when, when I have more, I, I'm going to I'm going to give a, a, a big contribution. One day, I'm looking forward to one day when, I'm, when I have the capacity to be really generous. Don't, please don't fall into that trap. Remember, in the eyes of Jesus, generosity is not measured by the amount we give. Generosity is measured by the percentage of our income that we give and by the spirit with which we, we give it. So, don't be slaves to debt. It's one of those metaphors in the Bible, and don't cheat on or two-time God with mammon, and, and, and be 
generous even with a little because in the eyes of Jesus, little is big. But the fourth metaphor that the Bible uses regarding money is found in our text today in 1 Timothy, and this is where I'd like you to find it. 1 Timothy 16, and we're going to read verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world, and that's all of us, by the way. There are different capacities among us, but if you, if you judge us by the, by the global standards, then everybody, everybody listening to this, everybody in this room is wealthy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is So being generous and sharing is real life. That's what we were made for. Some of you have leaves uh, in your yard, I'm I'm guessing, and maybe they're on the sidewalk in your front yard or in the driveway and the leaves in the backyard and the front yard. Some of you have leaf blowers. And you take those leaf blowers out there and you crank them up and and you blow the leaves off the driveway and off the sidewalk, and, and you go to the backyard, and you blow them up in piles, and you bag them, and those leaf blowers are great for uh, blowing leaves. But you take one of those leaf blowers in the house, and you say, you know, we've got some dust around here, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get rid of this dust, and you crank up that leaf blower, You're going to have a mess on your hands because leaf blowers were not meant to suck things up. Leaf blowers were meant to expel, not to gather. We're like leaf blowers. The Bible quotes Jesus in the gospel, in the epistles quotes Jesus as saying that it's better to to give than to receive. That's how we are wired. We are wired so that sharing and being generous is life that is truly life. Richard Wormbrand understood that. Richard Wormbrand was, was called the St. Paul of the Iron Curtain. In 1948, he was arrested in Romania, in communist Romania, because of his open commitment uh, to following Jesus. And he knew that, that the communist government had the power to imprison his body, but they could not imprison his spirit. And he didn't, even want to, he didn't want to even hoard stuff in prison. So he and a, a few of his Christian friends made a decision that on the 10th day, every 10th day, uh, they would give away their food. So the rations that were brought to them by the guards, they would give away to weaker prisoners. For he believed that the spiritual discipline uh, of sharing even bread and water was good for his spirit. We were made not to accumulate, but to share and to be generous. That's life that is truly life. So if you, if you say, I'm, I'm enslaved to debt, then it's not too late to set some good new priorities and get some help and 
And reorder your life so that you can, so that you can be truly generous. If you have cheated on God with mammon, it's not too late to say, God, I, I own that, I confess that, and I turn from that, and I, I will no longer, I will not split my allegiance. I will, be, I, will, I will be loyal to you, and I will not fall for the trap set by the evil one with that mistress called mammon. And if you have thought, one day, one day when I have more money, I'm going to be generous, don't fall for that trap because generosity in Jesus' eyes is not measured by the amount we give, but by the, the percentage of our income that we give and by the spirit with which we, we give. The recurring theme in the Bible about money is that we are to be generous. So uh, let me ask you, where should we, uh, to, where should we direct our Generosity. I said in the beginning, and I'll say again, that I believe if we will develop the spiritual discipline, the life-giving spiritual discipline of generosity, then we can prayerfully give our money to wherever we want to, and our churches will be fine. I believe if we develop the life-giving spiritual discipline of generosity, we can prayerfully give to wherever we want to, and our churches will be fine. But Carrie and I, Carrie and I, uh, have decided that our generosity will be directed primarily to this church. We believe a tithe, which for us is a tenth of our income before taxes, so we, we give that to this church gladly. Beginning in uh, March of 2019, we've been double tithing because we wanted to give another tithe to the Generations Campaign for the renovation and the building of our children's area for the sake of coming generations. Now, I tell you that only to say that we will not, would not broach this subject. We would not encourage you to consider generosity were we not generous. But why would, why would we say, why would we say the church? Three quick reasons other than the Bible that Carrie and I say the church. Number one, this is where we all have a say in decisions. At three o'clock this afternoon in the Life Center, all, all of you are invited to a conversation about property, the East property that is along Joseph Lowry. Now, this is a big decision for our church, and we make those decisions together. We're not going to make a decision this afternoon. This is an informational meeting. But you're going to be invited there. Let me ask you, has your university president ever asked you to come down and make a big decision like that? I believe in education, but probably not. I believe in giving to, to nonprofit corporations, companies, movements, entities. But nonprofit CEOs don't invite me down to make big decisions like that. But here we all we all make decisions together. We all have a say in what we do. So that's that's number one. Two, we 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 choose to pool our money. We we choose to pool what we give with people we love for causes we value. We choose to give what we give, to pool what we give, with people we love for causes we value. The truth is, Carrie and I, just like you, we could give directly to any of the things that our church gives to. But part of being a family is coming together and trusting each other and making decisions together and pooling our resources, 
pooling the gifts we give with people we love for causes we value. We, we value the, the personnel and the physical resources of this church to make possible the ministries that, that we believe are important. And then 12% of what you and I give goes to what we call missions around the community and around the world. We think, that, we think that's important. So we, we think it's important to pull the gifts we give with people we love for causes that we value. So we, we believe that it's important to have a say. We believe it's important to pool our, our resources with you. But third, the church is the only institution that addresses the, the needs of the whole person. There are lots of wonderful nonprofits who address particular needs. But no organization addresses the needs of the whole person, the, the temporal and the spiritual, the physical or the temporal and the eternal, the physical and the spiritual. Nobody addresses the, the holistic needs of people like a church does. And frankly, we think that's, we think that's important. Some uh, years ago, a couple of years ago, I told you that uh, our, pastor, our, our oldest son, who's a pastor in Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, it, it, it Baptist Church of Beaufort, their, their building was built in 1844, and that's where they, they worship in that building. It's a beautiful building. But I told you that uh, he had found out that they, in the early days, in the 1800s, used to rent their pews to, for the operations of the church. Well, I found out a little more. I, I've dug a little bit. Well, actually, Landon dug a little bit, and I benefited from that. I found out some other things about renting their pews. There was a pew rental committee, of course, right? It's a Baptist church, so there's a pew rental committee. And they decided how the pews would be distributed and took the money and uh, set the price, which in the mid-1800s was $12 for the cheap seats and $30 for the expensive seats. Annually, annually, $12 to $30. By the way, you want to guess which ones were the cheap seats? Front row, exactly. That's right. (laughs) All you cheapskates sitting down here on the front row, I see. But to be fair, the back row was as cheap as the front row, I guess, so they could get out easy. Rows 4 through 11 in the center were the prime. Those were the $30 rows. It was a little cheaper to sit near the windows. It must have gotten real airish, you know, during the winter. And so it was a little cheaper to sit near the windows. They had four pews set aside for guests where they could sit for free. My hunch is, though, there was a rule that, uh, you know, you couldn't just sit there for, you couldn't be a guest forever, like you had maybe a guest grace period. You could be a guest for four weeks, and after that, put your money where your mouth is, is what I'm guessing they would have, they would have said. Now, if you couldn't afford a pew, you could go and talk to the pastor, and the pastor would, would help you with, you know, come up with some sort of arrangement. They don't, they don't rent pews at the Baptist Church of Beaufort anymore. And we don't rent pews here. Because it's not a competition what we give. And people don't know what others give. And it's not about the perks. You know, it's not about, oh, I give $30, I get the good seats. It's not about the perks. It's about generosity. 
It's about sharing. It's about life that is truly life. And so I, I hope you'll remember Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For I really, with all my heart, believe that is life that is real life.